All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into GoodRanchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick and order to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome back to Making the Argument. I hope everyone had a great Christmas, Hanukkah, holiday season. Of course, we have New Year's Day coming up. As you can see, we are not in the studio right now. We still got people off in different places visiting family, but we did want to come together to do a New Year's resolution episode where we're actually going to talk a little bit about resolving to be more resilient in 2023. And what does that actually mean? Because there's so many times where we get so focused on the political and next election cycle, and next presidential election, that we forget that so many of the problems that we face, so many of the challenges that we have, can actually be effectively addressed by things that we do in our day-to-day -day lives. And so that's what we want to dedicate this episode to, is looking at ways that we can take more control of our lives without the government going into 2023. All of that coming up on this episode. I am so excited for today's episode because I know that you guys, Nick and Tina, have been working with your kids. You have some big goals for the next year. And I know you guys know, know that I always try to be positive. So when I tell people that there is something they can do, that means they're not going to the top level. They're not going to the federal government. They're starting with their own lives and changing the things that they can change. So I'm really excited to talk about today's resolutions. Um, you guys should join us over on Volley if you haven't already. We have a great group over there for making the argument. Nick, if you want to introduce us, let's get started. Okay, well, as always, I am your host, Nick Freitas, member of the Virginia House of Delegates, but other than that, an okay guy. My beautiful bride, Tina, Queen of the Bees. Hello, everyone. We have our resident historian and political prognosticator, Christian Hines. Hello. I'm in the studio today. <laughs> He's the only one in the studio. And then, of course, we have Nicholas Hamilton, the good Hamilton, the one that doesn't like central banking. Nick, I had a great time emceeing Tuesday's episode. No, thank you very much for that. That was, a, that was a unique one. And then, of course, our producer of producers, Sour Patch Lids, Lydia herself. How are you doing, Lydia? I'm good. How are you guys? Doing great. I'm excited for today's conversation. Let's get into it. So Nick and Tina have some really cool resolutions lined up for their family. And like I'm always telling people, we don't start at the top. We start at the bottom with ourselves. This is how we make changes in ourselves, our communities, our families, the places that really matter. And it's a lot less overwhelming than hoping for a change at the federal level. So I'm really excited about today's conversation. Let's get into it. Well, I think the first category that we wanted to talk about was education. And that's interesting because usually when we talk about education, we're talking about like grandiose policies and dollars following students and whether or not the federal government should be involved. What we mean on this one is, is looking at education kind of from the ground up. So as many people that watch or listen to the podcast know, we homeschool. And we know that's that's not an option for everybody, although if it is something that you're interested in, we'd love to give you more information on, on how you can make it a reality. 
But what we wanted to do was just kind of focus on something a little bit smaller, but we think very, very kind of important and potentially impactful. And so as Tina and I were talking about kind of our, our homeschool plans going into 2023, and also just kind of like our, our own education and, and how we look at making ourselves more formidable and making our kids more formidable. Um, what does that actually look like? What should education look like? Because so much of it now is kind of focused on, okay, here's a textbook, read through the textbook, take this test, and then the test determines whether or not you've adequately memorized the information. And it's not to say that there aren't areas where that's useful, but we wanted to start to take a look at when we give our kids an assignment, there's three things we're going to start looking for. One is, what sort of capability do you get after completing this assignment, right? So, so what can you do as a result of what you've learned, right? That's, that's step one, the capability component. The other one has to do with like the knowledge for its own sake. So obviously, the way that we understand and interact with the world is important. So for instance, um, knowledge of worldview, knowledge of philosophy, knowledge of critical thinking skills, all of these things are really important for processing information and turning it from uh, not just knowledge, but actually being able to effectively apply it in a wise manner. Um, and then the third thing that we wanted to look at was productivity. And the productivity is almost kind of like the test, if you will. Right, so it's you, you, you learn the knowledge, the, the how to think, the how to figure things out, how to problem solve. Um, you learn the capability or the skill set that you're going to use, and then what's the productive thing that you apply. And so to, to give you an idea of how this might all work out, like um, our, our son Luke, uh, very creative, uh, has a 3D printer, right? And, and it's awesome because 3D printers used to be something where it was like, oh my gosh, that's super expensive. And, and now they're actually very, very reasonable, especially if you're getting a beginning one. So the, the knowledge component starts with, okay, how do, you, how do you go through a creative process of finding out what it is that you might want to do? Um, the capability side is how do you develop the knowledge to be able to effectively use the programs in the 3D printer? And then the productivity is when you actually put all of that into practice and then build something with that. And, and you can imagine that with just about anything. I mean, that, that could literally be something that you're learning how to cook something, right? And, and you're going through that process of understanding how to process information, understanding how to apply that information in a useful manner, and then using the, the productivity as a way to test whether or not you've effectively managed those tasks. And so going throughout the year, one of our goals now, not just with our kids, but also with ourselves, is when we look at um, education, those are the three categories that, that we're really trying to apply um, so that, again, and that word I keep coming back to is formidable, right? I, I, want, I want my kids to be formidable, and I think that really does come from understanding capability and productivity. And so that's one of the things that we're going to be focusing out um, with education with our kids for this next year. And what I like about it is regardless of whether or not your kids go to public school, private school, or you homeschool, whatever it is, there's always a way that you can implement those three things into giving your kids useful skill sets going into, you know, just life in general. So that, that's what we're going to be. That's what we're resolving to do uh, for 2023. Well, Nick, I want to ask you this. What would you say to someone who just had a young child? You know, I've got a couple of friends down here in North Carolina that are new parents or somebody like myself that isn't a parent yet. What are some things that we can be doing on our end to either prepare ourselves for that or if you're a young parent, what should you be proactive in right now? I mean, there's a million things that you can read with respect to, to parenting or raising children. And, and it's sometimes it can be overwhelming. 
what I would say is that you, you start off with trusted sources on, on what it is that, you know, you, you want to learn. So I, again, for raising kids, like the Bible was our guidebook. Um, but then obviously we had stuff that we learned from our parents. We had stuff that we learned from people that we saw had done a great job raising their kids. And it was like, okay, what are, what are some of the things that you did? What are some of the, the traditions that you set up? What are some of the habits? Um, I think it was James Dobson or somebody that was saying that you have to about, and, and this sounds a little bit extreme, but just hear me out. It was like, you have to about 10 where you're, you're really educating your child and you're helping them develop good habits. Once you start getting into like their teenage years and things like that, now you're just kind of managing behaviors that have already been established. And so if your kids are really young, it's actually kind of a, a really neat and special time to be able to develop good patterns and habits. There's a reason why, you know, Jordan Peterson focuses so much on make your bed, right? Clean your room. Doing things like that really creates a mindset. Um, setting up things like delayed gratification and, and really teaching your kids to understand the importance of delayed gratification. So you, you saw that one episode where or that one experiment where they put a marshmallow in front of a kid and they said, all right, I'm going to leave the room. If you don't eat the marshmallow for, for three minutes, I'll come back and I'll give you a second one. Well, they've done long enough studies over time now where they've, they've tracked those kids through life and they found that in almost every instance, the kid that was able to wait, you know, the additional three, four or five minutes in order to get the second marshmallow tends to do better, you know, financially, economically, et cetera. And so it, it is an exciting time when your kids are very young to be able to help set those good patterns. Um, so that's something that I, I would just throw out there. I, and, I I would say that, uh, well, uh, we had a unique situation when ours were really young. Nick was always off at war. So um, so I kind of was the one having to deal with all the bad behavior um, that that you just kind of have to, you just run into it. You know, they, terrible twos, which I actually think are terrible threes. Um, they, they're angels and then they throw this massive fit or whatever. And I used to have to go grocery shopping with all three. And because I had no family around and Nick was off at war. And so um, one thing that I would say just along the delayed gratification side is you cannot always say yes to your kids. You just can't. And if you do, you're setting them up for some bad situations down the road because they have to learn what no means and, and they have to understand disappointment, learn how to process disappointment in a safe environment, because if the first time they're learning how to process disappointment and not what getting what they want is out in the world, they they don't love your kid. <laughs> you love your kid. You can help them work through those emotions of disappointment and things like that. So I will say, um, I I think I have always said that you can tell how well you did in the first phase um, by how quickly they get to the next phase and whether or not those traits from the first phase are dealt with and still there or, or if they're still there. So if you've already dealt with those negative things from that phase and they've grown out of it, you know you did a good job in that phase. If they haven't grown out of it and they're on to the next phase and they still have these other little bad behaviors, eh, you might want to examine what you might have done wrong and try to correct it um, before it's too late. Because I, I remember, you know, and I, I'd be in the grocery store with, with all three of my kids at the commissary picking up groceries because that was the only way it could be. And I would have one of them would start throwing a fit. And um, I was definitely not um, the type to put up with that kind of thing because if I, if I allowed it, then it would continue. And so 
we had plenty of times where they cried through the store and I just had to get what I needed to get and go. Or we've even had times where I left the whole cart. I just said, well, we're done. And I parked the cart, took them out to the car, tried to wait it out. And then we had to go back in, get, find the cart again <laughs> and keep going. And so there are times when you just have to remove them from the situation, but, but caving in and being like, okay, yeah, you can have the sugary cereal um, after that massive fit, no. Um, I, so there's a lot of, of uh, parenting trends that I, I think don't hold a lot of water. I, I, I feel like some, some of these ideas are pretty useless and, <laughs> and other, other things actually work. I know what works based on what worked for us. And our kids, we were always complimented on how well-behaved our kids were, but then by the same token, the same people who would compliment us on how well our kids were behaved would freak out whenever we would call our kids on bad behavior. They, well, it wasn't that bad. So the reason our kids are well-behaved is because we we deal with it when it's not that bad. Yeah, if, you, we, if you can resolve to be consistent with that, because and, and, yeah. a lot of parents have this idea that, oh, your kids are going to grow out of this phase. No, they're going to be disciplined and educated out of they that They need to be phase. guided out of the phase. Yeah. I mean, you're a parent for a reason, and kids can't raise themselves. You have to teach them what behavior is good and what behavior is not good. And at the end of the day, you're trying to raise human beings that the rest of the world can tolerate, <laughs> that, that other people don't completely... <laughs> Hate. That's you such know, a great way to describe it. I, I think, try to raise human beings, the rest of the world will tolerate. Yeah, we, we've all met those people. We call them the extra grace required people, where they're just a massive drain on your energy. I don't want to raise kids like that. I want I want my kids to be engaging and interesting and not so self focused. A lot of people who are super super selfish are the ones who drain all the energy out of everybody around them. So yeah. you don't want to raise people like that. You, well, let me, you're let doing me ask, your children. Let me ask this question to wrap this segment up. Nick, Tina, what's, some, what's a skill set in 2023 I can be working on to ensure that when the time comes for me to have kids after I'm married, that I will be better prepared at that point because of it? I would oh. make, make your own delayed gratification yes. uh, habits and make the habits in yourself because you're not going to suddenly start doing it once you have kids. Yeah. When, when you when you set when you set various goals for yourself and then you you resolve to actually carry them out and to and to do them to like bring it to completion that I mean that's a huge weakness for me right all the all one someone has to do is look at my desk to know that I have I have a hard time staying organized and things like that there's things that if I could go back and talk to my younger self and say hey Nick I know this sounds like a really drag right now but it's going to be important later organization. And like making sure that, okay, if I'm, if I'm going to set out to do a particular goal or a particular thing, then I'm going to set out the various steps that need to take place, the micro steps that need to take place in order to get to it so that I can effectively accomplish it. And so there, there's certain areas of my life now where I've had, it's an old dog learning new tricks. So, uh, and, and, it, and it gets more difficult when, you know, you're married and you have, a, a, you know, children and stuff like that. There's ways that make it easier because now you have two people that can focus on something, but there's also... You know, they're, they're, you got little kids there. I think it was Thomas Sowell that said, um, every generation civilization is invaded by barbarians. They're called children. Yeah. <laughs> One more thing I just wanted to bring up really quick about that. Um, here's the strongest one, and I think you'll appreciate this, Hamilton, because you and I, we had this conversation a little bit. Um, it's the idea of when you have kids, do you want 
to be taking your family to church? And do you want to have your family in church? Well, if you do want to have your family in church, I will tell you, it is much harder to start that habit when you have the kids than it is to continue it along. Mm. So start going to church now. If you think, yeah, I want to have my family in church, you should be going to church now. Set, set, establish it now because dragging three kids into church and making sure everybody's ready and like the absolute exhaustion that you have as a parent, um, that's not a good environment to be like, hey, I'm going to start this new thing that I haven't done the rest of my life. You know, get into church now, start establishing it now. And the other thing is that will also help you build the network that you need to help you with your kids later on. I love that. And it strikes me that there's no better test of a good marriage than a really stressful Sunday morning. So that's our next section is talking about you guys' marriage and how you keep your relationship strong for your kids and so that you guys can be more self-reliant yourselves. So what do you guys think are the biggest features of a marriage that lead to increased resilience and a better opportunity to build these good resolutions? Well, I think, I mean, we, we've talked about this a lot. In fact, the last several episodes, we've talked a lot about relationships and what makes for good ones. And, you know, the whole idea of starting off with your faith and your worldview, then moving into, you know, goals and objectives that you have and making sure that you're online with those things. I think that some of the things that we're really resolving this year, um, especially because, you know, we have, you know, a 20 year old, a 17 year old, a 15 year old. So it's kind of a different, we really are moving into kind of a different phase of life and preparing for that phase of life. And so we've, we've done a lot more talking about like, okay, what are kind of the next objectives? Like we, we've got some things, we've got a lot of things figured out with respect to, you know, how we raised our kids and educated our children. Um, you know, kind of what our roles are going to be with respect to, you know, me being the primary breadwinner and, and Tina being the primary person, like maintaining um, the, the household and the property. And so as we, as we've looked at some of these other objectives, we, we've spent a lot more time sitting down and what I've realized is that I, like, I love having a thousand different ideas and Tina wants to know, okay, but what are we going to do to actually finish this idea? And so, and so rather than, and that used to be, that used to be kind of a source of frustration where I'm like, why aren't you excited about this? And it's because I'm thinking of the end state and Tina's thinking of all the individual steps to get there. So for her, this is stressful for me. It's like wonderful brainstorming. And I, I think what we've started to do is we've as we've looked at moving into doing more stuff on like the homesteading, which I think we're going to talk about later. Um, Tina finally sat me down and said, honey, if you want me to be excited about this, she goes, I'm, I'm excited about the concept. I love the idea of having, you know, cattle and I love the idea of, you know, expanding the garden yeah, and doing but that. But I'm terrified of failing. So yeah. <laughs> show me how we are going to make this successful. Yeah, so yeah. She, she, she was like, and, and, and she didn't just say, show me how we were going to make it successful. She goes, if I knew that you had like planned out and with with some details and and some pricing on you know what it was going to be to get all the fencing in place and the shelters in place and what our feed costs were going to look like and, and things like that if i knew that and and i knew we weren't going to store show up to the store and have like total sticker shock or something like that because i'd feel better about this yeah, so because I, we have had a couple times where <laughs> nick is like we're going to go ahead and fence in this area and he goes and he goes oh man this is expensive wait let's figure out another way to do this and then what, what will happen is it will be done not quite to standard and then we'll have animals escape and things like that. We had that happen with the pigs once yeah. before. So we never have pigs again. If you've never if you've never tried to run down a hundred and fifty pound pig in order to lasso it and then drag it back, um, yeah, the, the struggle is real. But yeah. but the the whole point of that was is that I found like this is this is kind of like a, a 
you know, a maturing thing for myself. I found that as I went through the process, I said, okay, I'm actually going to specifically look up, like, what does this cost at, like, Tractor Supply or Lowe's or whatnot? I'm going to put it into an Excel spreadsheet. And then when I sit down with her, I'm like, okay, here's the overall cost. This is where we're going to go. This is how much it would be. She could ask some questions. I knew the answer. What it did is it gave her the assurance that this wasn't just some crazy idea I was going to throw out there and then make her make it happen. <laughs> you know, another example of the success of basically what you, you just pointed out, Nick, is the room that I'm in right now. Um, yeah. and, and also the show that you're listening to or watching. Um, because I, I don't know, especially we've gotten so many new audience members over the last couple months that they might not know that literally the studio that I'm in that we record in normally on Tuesdays and Thursdays, that, that was entirely built by Tina. Like physically from the ground up, she's the one that the wall behind me painted it and nailed it together. The table that my laptop is sitting on and that you see with our mics and everything in normal episodes, she made that. She had to haul the wood up the staircase and then assemble it in the room. Well, because we we the did help bring the wood up. We didn't sit around yeah, and watch. Okay, like, over here like, wait, we down the trees and milled the lumber. <laughs> Almost. The, the, the point is, is that. You know, Nick, and and honestly, part of the reason that I became such close friends with Nick, I think is because we share so many similarities in terms of we have these like big, you know, ideas, but then when the time comes to actually execute them, it's like, oh man, do we actually have to do the grunt work? Like, I, I like brainstorming the ideas, not, I, I don't want to do the manual labor to actually get the idea done, <laughs> but like, it, 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 I mean, you know, Nick had this idea that he wanted to do this podcast to get these ideas out that, you know, uh, so many people, including myself, first, you know, got to know Nick because of his his ability to, you know, extrapolate on ideas that he was able to say things that I believed better than I myself could. And I've heard so many people say that so many times. And so we knew that we wanted Nick to do this podcast. Hamilton and I also wanted Nick to do this podcast. Nick wanted to do it. But we needed to build a studio for it to actually be done. Mm -hmm. It's not like every Tuesday or Thursday we're going to have Nick recording in his living room. That, that wasn't going to be a good long-term solution to it. And so Tina was on board with the idea, but she knew that it wasn't sufficient to just have an idea to do a you know, something really neat. You needed to I need to know that we had the budget to get what we needed to right. actually pull it off. Because I I don't like it when we do when we start down a road and we have to do something that really wasn't what we meant to do and it doesn't look as good and it's kind of you know weird We're looking it together. Yeah. Well, I think that but I to, want it to, done right. to Lydia's question, right? Like yeah. that was <laughs> like getting back to Lydia's good. Like that was the whole the whole process was okay. This year we were going to focus more on this idea of establishing objectives for ourselves, like projects that we're going to work on, things like that, and then determining what our roles were going to be, and then being specific about it. Right, not just having these assumptions. We've been married for almost 24 years. And I'll tell you right now, at 24 years, if you're still just having assumptions about what the other person is going to do, that, that's not a good strategy. And so the communication component is very important. That's going to be different for various people. But you do kind of figure out, okay, there's, there's roles that you easily kind of fit into that are complementary, but then still still go through the process of being specific so that you're, you're taking as much guesswork out of what your guys' expectations are as possible. I think the other thing that I, I'm going to try to resolve to do um, next year kind of just with us in the marriage side is 
like I, I recognize we went on our first trip away for our anniversary. Um, the first one we had gone on just her and I in 19 years um, this year. And it was like, okay, that, that, that can't, I mean, okay. We, we I, gotta, we gotta be, we gotta be more deliberate with respect to setting a, setting apart time that is just for us. Um, and we, we talk a lot throughout the week and things like that. It's obviously we do a lot of we things We have a tendency together. to want to stay home. Yeah. yeah. But, so we have to fight that. But it's, it's more about the idea of having very, like, I can't emphasize this enough and it sound it almost sounds weird. You have to schedule time together that is not just a part of the the regular week of discussing things with kids or duties and responsibilities and things that need to get done. Um, so I'm trying to be a lot more deliberate on, no, 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 I'm going to schedule time, whether you want to call it date nights or things like that, but I'm going to schedule time that we have to go out and get together and, and talk about things that, that isn't already part of our normal routine. That isn't politics related. <laughs> <laughs> So you would prioritize really highly spending time with each other. What about spending time as a family and then with like individual kids? I used to love that with my parents was going on these date nights with like one individual parent. My mom would take us out or my dad would take us out. I thought that was awesome. What do you guys think about that kind of concept? We just took Allie out. Um, yeah. She... For our kids, you know, we always kind of go, oh, what do you want to do for your birthday? Do, you know, um, and, and a lot of times that ends up being whatever we go big on. And then everything else is, um, you know, what we can fit in here and there. So like for Lily, she wanted to go zip lining with her parents. How funny is that, that she wanted to go with her parents, That's go great. zip lining. That was Lily, our oldest. Um, and so we went and it was really, really fun. Nick almost died. And, um, <laughs> That's why she wanted to go. She, yeah. <laughs> um, and then Allie just, she just really wanted mommy and daddy time. And we took her out to go pick out a ring and we took her to Funland in Fredericksburg. And she got to go on the go-karts and play lots of video games. And we played them all together. And it was just the three of us. And, you know, she, she had a blast. And that's what she would always rather do that than to have a bunch of friends over, which is, Kind of, I mean, I guess it, it feels really flattering to me that she, she wanted to do that. So, you know, spending that time with our kids, I think, is absolutely important. And they really show us that they like it. I, I think there, to, to your point, I think there's there's three categories, right? There's the time that you and your, your spouse have to spend together that's dedicated for you guys. Right. Um, that was what we talked about initially. Then there's times that you spend together as a family. And that can that can be, it can be a family trip, but it doesn't have to be, right? And, and this is one thing that I've been super bad about. Um and that's like family meal times. Not that you have to sit down every single night for a meal. A lot of times people are busy, especially as your kids get older and there's different projects and things like that. But I, I do think having some time set across where you as a family are coming together to connect is really important. That's one thing that I'm trying to resolve for 2023 is to make to be more deliberate with respect to saying, okay, we're, we're going to ensure – that that you know every week at some point we are we are coming together like us as a family, and then that third component is what you mentioned, and that is individual time with individual children. I, I think that's really really important for a number of reasons, and and sometimes it's like the daddy daughter dance. Uh, sometimes it's father son time. Sometimes it's mother son time or the mother daughter time. But I, I think those are huge opportunities to be able to um, find shared interests. Or, or just time together in order to work on something. So it doesn't have to be like some elaborate trip somewhere. Sometimes it can, it can be, be. spontaneous, you know? But, but it's, I think some of it is, um, 
you know, for me and the kids, sometimes we go out there and <laughs> we'll do, we'll, we'll shoot together. We, we got a little range set up at, at our house. We'll shoot together. We also, like one year, this last year, I set up a uh, an axe and knife throwing station. <laughs> and oh so sometimes we'll just go out there and, you know, you know do stuff like that. But I, I think that finding something that you're going to do uh, to, to have that individual one-on-one time or you know, both of you with, with that child is, is really important. And again, it doesn't have to be elaborate. It can go be getting breakfast, but I, I think yeah. on a, on an everyday kind of, um, point, we do need to be more purposeful about putting the phone down. And it's really hard when your, your job is to, you know, engage on social media and your job is to engage in the political sphere. And so you're constantly using your phone to respond to emails or respond to comments or to um, address questions or whatever it might be. And um, it, it's not any fun for the kids to be looking at the side of your face, trying to get you to look at them and needing that time with you. And, and if you have to put your phone down, you can't give, you know, like, okay, what is it? Yeah. You know, uh, if you wouldn't want them to respond to you that way, you can't respond to them that way. And I think that um, that is, that's on a more practical level. That is one of the resolutions I would say is to put the phone down, put the computer down, put all the different medias down um, and actually have present time with your kids and don't expect them to talk to you through a screen all the time or, or, don't have a screen between you and them all the time. Well, and, and again, from a resolution standpoint, for me, what that translates to is scheduling. Um, yeah. Because we, do, I mean, look, part of, to, to Tina's point, we have a podcast. We do another show called The Wine Minutes. We, we engage on social media. It is actually part of our job. It's not just something that, you know, we, we do. And it's really easy um, just to but if you, keep working. So if you take the time to schedule it, like put it on your calendar, that's what I have to do in order to, and, and some people have this attitude where it's like, well, if you have to schedule it, is it really important to you? Is it really as special? Is it really, it's just about time management. You have and, to schedule work. That's pretty important. Yeah. yeah. I think that um, it is a pitfall that a lot of people run into when they work from home or when they, when most of what they do is in a setting with their kids around, um, you end up having media, different forms of media between you and your kids a lot. And, and it's, you do have to put it down and figure out how, how can we rearrange the schedule to put it down. And um, when our kids were little, we used to sit down at the dinner table and after dinner, um, we would do trivia and Nick would do Bible trivia with the kids. And sometimes we would do um, history, geography, history and geography too. We'd have the globe and we'd have, you know, stump daddy time. Cause he knows like everywhere, like he can name exactly where everything is. And so um, we could always stump him with, what was it, South America? No, no Sub-Saharan Africa. Oh, that's right. Um, and, and But then it, we worked him so much in that area that he got good at that too. But the thing is, is, is it helped our kids under, have Bible knowledge. It helped them have geography knowledge and things like that. But then it was also just something we did after, right when we were finishing up dinner and the kids loved it. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing you can do with younger kids. That's awesome. That actually sounds like Little House on the Prairie, which leads me to our next point, which is you guys have been very busy with this homesteading stuff. And this is something that's really like 
um, aspirational for a lot of, I think a lot of conservative thinkers are like, wow, I would really love to have bees. I'd really love to have chickens or I'd really love to live out in the country. So what are some practical ways that people can make themselves more like food independent and more focused on getting in touch with creating the stuff that they consume instead of being like a mindless consumer? What do you think are the highlights to homesteading? Why should people do it? The thing, the thing that really fascinated me about homesteading, what I, I really got into it, is I actually started watching Homestead Rescue. <laughs> like just out of the, like I was sitting there, nothing better to do. I, we were waiting to go somewhere, and then you know, like I think we were actually in California. We were, and then like three seasons into watching it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is really interesting. And I went, I went further and further down the rabbit hole just because I liked the whole like independence of it, the resiliency of it, the idea of. Again, it's like rugged American individualism. We're not getting off the power grid, though. That's not happening. <laughs> so I, I guess I think a lot of people, when they hear like homesteading, they think just that. They think, okay, you're off the grid. You're raising all of your own food. You're doing all. Yes, that certainly qualifies. I mean, you, you might call it the pinnacle of it. But um, a, a lot of the people that have done a lot of work on this, um, whether it's like Joel Salatin or Justin Rhodes, they're not off the grid, right? But they, they, they do farming. They raise livestock. Um, and, and it's not just about... Um, it isn't just about the food component, although that's that's a large part of it. it. It's also about, again, developing capabilities to where if something breaks down, right, if you have a piece of equipment that breaks down, okay, you can just go buy another one or you can learn how to fix it and you prolong the life of it significantly. So um, it, it really just depends on, you know, the way you look at it as far as the capabilities that you're developing in order to, um, take more control over certain aspects of your life that right now we we usually kind of farm out, and and again there's <laughs> there's nothing wrong with saying hey I'm going to focus on being a really good you know musician and I'll get my food at the grocery store, but one of the things that I think a lot of people saw through COVID through the supply chain uh, issues that we've been facing through inflation and everything else was they became very very uncomfortable with their level of dependency. And they just wanted to alleviate some of it, right? They wanted to get some control back over certain aspects of their life that are really important, like being able to provide for food for your family. And so uh, it, several years ago, we started with chickens, then we got pigs for a while. Now we have goats and we have bees and we have you know, peacocks. And, and this year, we're resolving to get cattle and we're going to do pigs again because our, our goal is is we want to we want to wipe out about 70% of our meat budget from the grocery store we want to raise that ourselves and part of that is because we we genuinely enjoy the experience of having animals some of it is a resiliency thing and and just knowing how to do this stuff some of it is wanting to educate our children so that they know how to do it but a lot of people hear that and like okay that's great nick you've got 10 acres right that's not huge but it's enough to do some of this stuff i don't have that and the thing that I would tell people is that if you've got so much as a backyard and no ordinances against it, start off with like five chickens, five laying hens. It's it's not really that expensive to get started. You you will you will probably really enjoy the experience. Chickens are, are actually really funny to watch. <laughs> um, a lot of our like modern day colloquialisms that we use, uh, things like being broody, being cocky. You know, the, you're gonna watch your chickens and be like, oh, that's why we say that. Checking order. Yeah, and um, and not only that, but the the eggs just are they're genuinely better, especially um, yeah. if if you're if you have some area where they can free range. So starting off with chickens, I think is a great place for people to start if they're interested in that. Another one is gardening. If you would have told me. Four years ago, that I would be the one sitting through here and going over different seeds and like how to prepare the soil and what I was going to grow. And, and I would have told you you were nuts. I, I don't have time for it. It's I'm not that interested in it. 
And then one year as I started to do it and I kind of took responsibility for it. We'd had gardens before where, you know, I might have planted it, but then Tina was responsible for all the maintenance. Oh, and then, we've had them where I've planted them all yeah, too. And, and then what I, what I found was is that um, as I went through the process of actually like maintaining the garden and doing stuff, it was a huge stress reliever for me. Um, it was something where I would come home from a day of like politics and, and having to you know make arguments and, and engage with people. And sometimes it gets a little bit hostile. And then I could go home and I could just check on my tomatoes and the cucumbers and the watermelon. And I, I would try different things out with uh, based off of things I was like uh, Jess from Roots and Refuge is a, is a great uh, channel where I started doing like trellis gardening. So like you'd get cattle panels and you'd and it was kind of cool. Like you could grow flowers across from you. you could grow your like beans or cucumbers and you'd get a much higher yield. And it was just this really rewarding thing where there's a, a lot of things that we talk about, especially within politics, where these are like two, four, six year propositions. Like I'm working right now in the hopes that maybe four to six years from now, I'll get a result. Whereas with gardening, it was this process of from the time that you plant to the time that you harvest, 90 days, depending on what you're doing, 90 to 120. being able to see the work of your hands, to yeah. be able to see some fruits of your labor kind of yeah. within a reasonable time frame, um, watching something sprout from seed and grow and, and produce food and for your family. Can I also say there's something, too, to be said for a skill set that never – a skill set that basically never gets um, technologically outdated. Yeah. Right? There's a lot of things that we can learn how to do. Um, there's various programs that we can use where we, we have to be very, very invested in them. And in five years, that platform might not even be there anymore, right? It might not even be relevant anymore. Or the technology that we're using, you know, you have to constantly stay updated on the, a, a new program and a new system or a new way of doing something. Planting the seed in the ground has been there from the beginning and it's going to be there a thousand years from now. And knowing how to do that and, and not having it be a mystery to you and your kids learning how to do it, there, there is something that is really gratifying about a skill set that is never going away. Can I, I add to that? Oh, go ahead. I've been uncharacteristically silent for most of this episode, but um, uh, a, a couple things. First, um, my, my mother loves gardening, um, and she's kind of gone down the similar rabbit hole as you. We also have chickens at my mother's house. She has like 40-something chickens. I, I, I want to point out that, that gardening in some ways is actually easier. I don't want to say easier, like physically easier, but easier from like a regulatory standpoint. If you're, if you're in a place that, you know, regulates if you can have, you know, animals like chickens on your property, that's more likely than some sort of restriction on um, you know, what you can plant in your backyard. As long as we don't get the uh, 1940 Supreme Court returning anytime soon, <laughs> hopefully that will remain the, the case. Um, so, so gardening is, is absolutely, like, I think one of those skills that everybody should learn how to do because it, it can, it's not going to feed your whole entire family, but it's certainly about reducing at least some of that dependency on some of these very vulnerable things like supply chains and inflation that people have been having to deal with. The second point, though, that I want to bring up is really like leaning into what you said about skill sets that become outdated. So, again, being able to plant food is a skill set that will probably never disappear. It's, it's been with us for thousands of years. And as long as humans are around, it'll be with us. But um, to your point about skill sets that become obsolete, what do you say to somebody who, like myself, when I was, you know, the age of your kids, 
I had this idea that I wanted to be, you know, like, like I, I wanted to be like my father. I wanted to be a college professor, right? That, that was my goal. I never in a thousand years would have thought that I would be sitting at a table like this recording a podcast, helping you write the why minutes and do the research for that. Like, like the, the working on, on things like Excel spreadsheets all the time, like the stuff that I do for a living um, and, and that's to say nothing of like the electoral stuff that I do, but like the stuff that I do for a living is stuff that literally didn't even exist like when I was growing up as a kid. Um, like physically, my job, if you could even come up with a title for it, did not exist arguably even 10 years ago, maybe even less than 10 years ago. Um, so how how can you cultivate those sort of skills? And this this kind of interlaps with the education segment that we did earlier, but it also relates a little bit to to the other two segments of, of parenting and also home homesteading. For for somebody that that's in the age group of you know fifteen to thirty that listens to our podcast that is either about to enter the workforce or has for a past couple of years or is about to have kids um, or is thinking about trying to to you know establish a more independent lifestyle through homesteading, how do you prepare for a set of skills that don't even exist yet? Or, or how do you prepare to start a job that doesn't even exist yet? Well, I think the – so going back to what we were saying on education and why are we focusing on those three categories with our kids. So for instance, you thought you wanted to be a college professor. And maybe one day you will be, right? But for right now, you, you've, you've found meaningful <laughs> – hopefully meaningful employment – doing this. But the thing is, is that some of the skill sets that you would need for a college professorship are, are also the skill sets you needed for what you're doing here. The, the first, first and foremost, you needed to develop good study habits. You needed to develop good research habits. And those have even developed, right? It used to be that you went to the library, you checked out a book, you read it. Um, now you go online. Well, how you search for information online and where you go to find it, because while there's a lot of information, some of it's garbage. So, so how do you, how do you develop those skill sets? The knowledge and the skill sets that you have with respect to critical thinking and, and effective research, those are universal. The tools that you'll use, right, the internet versus maybe the library or maybe both or, or going to people or going to a university versus learning, from, those, those can change. Um, but, but the fundamental habits that you have with respect to differentiating between good and effective information and research versus stuff that, you know, is maybe, you know, not as useful, that's, that's a universal. And so what, what I would tell people is when you focus on, on certain universals, then what you do is you apply different tools, right? Because it's usually the tools that become outdated, Right. So you, you, you develop the good critical thinking skills right off the bat. That's your foundation. And then you move on to applying various tools with the understanding that the tools are either going to update or potentially go away or be replaced. And so if you have good fundamentals, you can point the you can you can put the tool on top of the fundamentals and be successful as the tools change. If you have crappy fundamentals and you're just relying on the tools, when the tool goes away or when the tool changes in a way that you're, you're not used to adapting well, you're going to be in trouble. And so that's why I think starting off with those fundamentals are so important, then applying the right tools on top of those fundamentals and then achieving something through it. And what the reason why some of these things get designed the reason why some of these tools, you say, like, how do you prepare for a job that doesn't even exist yet? Well, you don't really. What you do is you develop those fundamentals, you start to use tools, and then the entrepreneur or the inventor, what they recognize is something that they need doesn't exist, right? And then they invent it. 
But there's a reason why they say that necessity is the mother of invention. It's because I have a goal, I have an objective, I have something I want to achieve, and, and there's something that doesn't exist, but I know how to create it, or I know if this did this a little bit differently. And that could be that could be something that you weld, that could be something that you code, that could be something that you just draw out or design. And and or it could it even it even could be an idea or a system that you develop, which isn't necessarily mechanical, it's just a thought process. And so that, that's how you achieve those things. But, but start off with the good fundamentals. Start using the tools that are available to achieve the objectives that you want. And, yeah. as, and as the tool is not achieving what you need, that's where you can let that creative, that inventive, that entrepreneurial side take over to create something new that is not only beneficial for you in, in the process, but is potentially something that you, you market and revolutionizes the way that everybody does something. Can I, can add I just point that, out that add one the thing answer that you gave is so different than the answer pretty much most politicians would give. Because most politicians would probably be like, that's an important point, Christian. That's why I'm carrying legislation to set up a government program in order to equip people with skills that don't even exist yet, or for jobs that don't even exist yet. Like, I, I, I don't know, I just, I, I love that we're talking, I mean, we're what, 50 minutes into this show and we haven't even mentioned the government, I think even once love it. in this entire episode. <laughs> Would you mind if I added one thing to yeah, ahead, what Nick said? Um, some people aren't the creative entrepreneurial type, and that's fine. But I think that you've got it. You can't get set in your ways and get to where you don't want to learn the new tech. You need to constantly be learning in whatever areas that that are, you know, your your areas of interest, and also try to learn in areas that that you struggle in, obviously. But if you reject new tech, you're going to get you're going to be behind, and you're not going to be able to keep up. Um, one example is uh, like Nick's mom has to learn new computer system systems all the time. She went from being a nurse, hand charting, and she was amazing at charting. Um, she, they were able to use her charts in in really important situations, and she's great at it. Um, but every five minutes, it seemed like they were updating systems and doing new new logins and new systems. And she just forced herself to stay up on these, even though she hated it. But you know, it is one of those things where you know, learn the systems, learn the new things that are coming. Um, you know, learn the new ways of of processing information, new tech. So, and don't be afraid to make mistakes in the new tech because that's part of how you learn. And so I would say, don't, don't avoid new tech. Don't be set in your ways. You're not 80 yet. You can't act like you're 80. <laughs> well, I, Christian, I think you brought up a good point that we haven't mentioned the government one time in the majority of this episode. And there's a reason for that. Um, but I, I want to make an observation then, Nick, I'd love to get your thoughts on it. I think I've noticed over the years that conservatives are oftentimes very focused on the national level solutions to whatever problems we might face here in America. And I think a lot of that has to do with media, uh, what media we do consume, whether that be you know national level media. Um, but it seems like to me that conservatives oftentimes are very focused on what politicians that we elect can achieve or can change the direction our, of our country through what they do in Washington or what they do in the state level. Um, but I'm just really passionate about this idea that we should all be very, very inspired by the, our own ability to have micro solutions in our daily lives. And Nick, we were at the Pines and Politics event. I was just watching back the footage for our um, montage that we put out on Tuesday. 
And when, you know, someone asks you a question at the end of that montage about, you know, what could we do better in the next election cycle? And you said, well, first we need to understand why so many people are voting towards the left. And we can't expect anyone to vote conservative when they've gone through pu the public school system. They've gone through college education at a liberal-leaning university. Um, but I think we should be really inspired at the fact that, yes, our micro-solutions may not solve a national-level problem tomorrow or next year or in five years or in ten years. But everyone doing what they can within their family, being more resilient, relying on themselves more for their own needs for food, being very intentional about the principles that they're teaching their kids, all of those things, if we are all focused on those things in our daily lives over a period of time, we could start seeing the country move in a different direction. But I think we do get caught up in that, okay, well, who we elect for president, if we elect a Republican president, all of our problems are going to be solved. Or if we elect, elect a Republican congressman, all of our problems are going to be solved. That's just not the case. Government is supposed to move slowly. And we expect for those solutions to take place over a very short period of time. So, Nick, I, I want, I, I'm interested in your thoughts on that because the entire point of this is to discuss what we can be doing differently in our own lives that over a period of time, all of us doing those things together at the same time will change the direction of our country. Um, so, yeah, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Well, I think that if, if you look, let's just look for a second. What is the primary justification for government intervention into something? Now, it, it used to be primarily defense, and that made sense, right? We're going to pool our resources together in order to provide for defense uh, because that's not something we want everyone to be individually responsible for, you know, the overall defense of their own household. Sure, we want people to be, you know, personally responsible and aware and things like that, but you're not fighting the, you know, the horde, you know, you know one house at a time. Okay, that makes sense. Every other intervention that we see by the government is usually um, is usually in some way, some way, shape, or form, a result of the breakdown of the family. Right. So it's it's education, it's healthcare, um, it, it's any number of other government interventions with respect to you know protecting us from ourselves. And and so if if you think about that, and if you think that the solution is going to be oh we'll just elect the right people and that will solve it, well. No, what you really need to focus on is, is yourself and your own house first. And, and Thomas Sowell did, did an interesting study on this kind of across space and time. And he was looking at the, the people that would immigrate uh, to a, a country. And, he, and he, was, he was really fascinated by this idea that people that would immigrate to the United States and within a relatively short period of time with almost no assistance would be doing very, very well. And then he would look at other groups that had, had been in that country for decades that were not doing as well and, or people that had immigrated and, and tried a different path. And what he found was is that the people that came to the United States in, in a relatively comparatively free country, the people that focused on family, education, and productivity were always doing far better than the people that were relying on politics. So, so the, the groups that got together and organized and were really effective politically overall did worse than, than groups that were not necessarily involved in politics at all, but were rather focused on family education and productivity. And that, that should tell us something. And, and I hope what it does tell us is that the good news of living in a relatively comparatively free country is that when you focus on um, 
you know, again, family education, productivity, uh, developing things, producing things, interacting with people peacefully. Um, you, you're far more likely to actually see success. And, and the more successful that you are within that environment, typically, the more able you are to be able to affect the political environment when you when you choose to engage with it. But again, if, if you put all of your hope into, if we elect the right people, this will fix this, it, it doesn't happen that way. Historically, it just doesn't. It, it's not to say that there aren't important roles for the government to play or important things that the government can do. But it should be peripheral to the primary decisions that you make throughout with your life. So I, I would say that when you, when you start off as an individual, so if, you're, if you're a single individual, you start off with, how do I make myself capable? That, that comes with knowledge. It comes with understanding. It comes with the ability to articulate things and communicate with other people. It comes with the ability to be able to produce things, whether that's goods or services or whatever it is, in a way that make people want to exchange and, and work with you. Um, you know, once, once you become a married couple, it's, it's about establishing good communication because there's nothing more powerful than an effective marriage. Uh, when it comes to, I mean, we, we see this at study after study after study, people that are, are involved in an effective marriage, which is rooted in similar worldview, uh, effective communication, mutual you know, love and respect, they be, they're usually really good parents. They're productive, um, you know, either employees or entrepreneurs. They're, they're motivated. They're, they're better able to kind of, um, you know, put, you know, certain, you know, behaviors in check for the benefit of their families. So when you do all of those things, then what happens? Well, you, you raise kids and there's nothing more powerful than watching like a woman at her hundredth birthday surrounded by, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 people that are there because of her. So you, you kind of extrapolate all of this out o over time. And what you find is, is that the people that have focused on, on the things that they can control, um, and, and again, a part of that is being involved politically. A part of that is voting. For some people, it may be running for office. But, but it's understanding that the goal there is to make sure that that government entity is performing its functions correctly, not trying to be a replacement for a husband or a wife or a father or a mother or, a, or, or God or anything else, right? staying in its proper role. And I think the problem that we have right now is that we've gotten so, we, we've been inundated with this idea that political advocacy is the way that you change things. No, it's the way you change some things. It's the way that you engage with certain items within our life. But if you try to make that the, the primary focus of what gives you meaning, then, then you're missing out on all the most important things that you probably got involved in politics in the first place to protect. Right. Right? So the, the political activity is there to protect all of these other things that give your life meaning and purpose, your family, your faith, productivity, creativity, all of those things. So as you're pursuing the political, which is, which is necessary, don't forget why you're doing it. it. It is peripheral. It is something that you have to do in order to protect these things over here, which actually give genuine meaning. And, and again, the most empowering thing I, I think I can tell anybody is when you put that, when you, when you put the government focus or the political focus back in its proper place, which is way behind, you know, God, family, community, things like that, that's where you find out all of a sudden you have all of this power that you thought you, you could only exercise if the right people were in office. Right. right? When, when somebody needs your help, when somebody needs healthcare, when somebody needs, um, you know, food or whatnot, when you step up and you personally deliver it and you're a part of that solution, that's empowering not only to you, it's empowering to them. 
right? When, when there is a problem to be solved and you find a way to effectively do it in the marketplace in a way that is rewarded, understand that the, the money that you make or the feedback that you get, that's not you being motivated by greed. There was a legitimate problem that you fixed and the way you know you did a good job was because other people in the marketplace that didn't have to do business with you did business with you, not to make your life better, they did it because you helped make their life better. So the, these are all, again, in my mind, incredibly empowering things that once you make a habit out of focusing on the things that you can control and finding where your unique talents and capabilities fit within that larger tapestry of what a community is, that's where you start to see you know, exponential positive change, both within your own life and over time. And then that, that, that thing you do over here in politics, that's to protect this important work that's going on over here. This is so great. I absolutely love this reframe. And I think that New Year's should be the perfect time to espouse the values that we hold, especially because we know that all of this stuff starts at the individual level. So as we wrap here, I'm really grateful that we were able to kind of shift the perspective on this. A lot of times I think the resolution is like, often people's resolutions are very grandiose. Like they talk a lot about diet. We're gonna overhaul everything over the next two weeks. No, you're not, no, you're not. What you have to do is start small. And that's exactly what we went after in this episode, which I think is the perfect place to start. Hopefully that inspires a lot of people going forward and convinces them that they really do need to start with themselves. And from there, they can kind of improve the world exponentially, but it has to be in small ways. So hopefully that makes it more manageable for them going into the new year, because it can be kind of overwhelming. Real quick before we wrap, I think we're, I think we're about to wrap, but I, this is the last episode of 2022. Ooh. For everyone that made it to this point in the episode, thank you. And thank you for everyone who joined Making the Argument and became a member of our community. This has been a huge year for the podcast. There were some really neat milestones hit. There were a lot of new folks who joined. Maybe you came from Instagram Reels or TikTok or YouTube Shorts. We are very, very thankful to have you. We hope that you will join us in conversations like this in our volley chat, which you can join at the link in the description of this show. But we are looking forward to 2023. There's a lot of neat stuff we are working on. We hope to be able to bring you a considerable amount of new valuable content that is going to be valuable to you and your family. And I hope that today you learned something and maybe you had a light bulb go off in your head as to something that you could be doing on a daily basis in your community and your family uh, that can ultimately make a difference for the rest of the country. And for those that are um, fixated on the politics side, session begins in just a few weeks. Um, <laughs> so if you, um, the format of, of making the argument where we've got all these people at the table and everything has um, really picked up after session last year. So there's a really good chance that a huge chunk of the people that actually watch our episode or listen to our episodes on a weekly basis, um, they haven't had a chance yet to see Nick in action actually like in the state legislature. In fact, there's, I know that for a fact that there's some people that watch like our shorts on YouTube and stuff like that, that, that they don't even know that Nick is in office. Um, which in some ways is actually kind of cool if you think about it. So literally in just a few weeks, Nick will be going down to Richmond and um, we'll, I, I, I know how these things play out because I've seen them happen uh, enough years now that, you know, somebody's going to get up and say something and then Nick is going to have to get up and refute it. And then that video is going to go out there and it's going to get thousands and thousands of views. Um, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to that for next year to be honest. 
Well, and to, to that point, to that point, um, before we go into session, uh, we haven't picked what day yet, but before we go into session, we actually will be doing an episode on <laughs> why does your representative not listen to you? And we're actually going to give you some tips from kind of like behind the curtain. We're going we're gonna to pull it back. We're going to show you Oz, and we're going to talk about how you can be more effective so that when you're... When you do have to engage in politics, right? When you, um, when when it is necessary for you to do that, you can be the most effective possible in that process. But I just want to once again thank everybody for joining us. Thank everyone for just a wonderful year. As Christian pointed out, um, the podcast audience has more than doubled um, just since March, and, and so we're we're incredibly thankful for that. We're incredibly thankful for however you learned about the podcast and you sharing it and liking it and commenting it and giving us advice on the volley chat on how we can be better. So once again, thank you very much. Please have a very safe and happy new year, and we will catch you in 2023. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to goodranchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, goodranchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special, so head on over to goodranchers.com. Use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.